Happy Sunday, Tampa Bay. Thanks for joining us on the Duncan Duo Real Estate Show. I'm Robert Johnson, president of the Duncan Duo, here with Rita Weaver, one of our listing agents on our team. Good morning. Hi. Thanks for joining us today. We usually have Mike here, but he's out. Andrew's out. So it's me and Rita holding down the fort. And it's always great to talk to one of our agents because they're able to kind of give us their insight into what's going on in the market, what they're seeing from sellers or buyers. And I'm just thrilled Rita was able to join us today on really short notice. She was really happy to be here. So <laughs> I know that she'll uh, she'll do great. But we uh, wanted to jump right into some real estate news uh, that went on this week. You know, inflation numbers came out this week. They were at 9.1%, which was way higher than they thought. There was talk about you know, cooling inflation. They thought maybe inflation had already peaked. Um, definitely not what the numbers showed at 9.1%, which was much higher than the last few months, which were always, you know, also really, really, really high. So little disappointing on that front. Um, what we usually have seen recently is after the inflation numbers come out for the month, you know, the Fed talks about what they're going to do with interest rates, you know, if they're going to raise interest rates to try to cool um, everything that's going on. And what we've actually seen the past couple months is after the inflation numbers come out, the mortgage rates actually go up in anticipation of maybe what the Fed is going to do regarding raising interest rates. So this week, at first, the mortgage rates kind of stayed steady, but then they actually did raise up this week some. Uh, they had been falling for about two weeks. So even though they were up at about almost 6%, they were down to about 5.3%, which actually was a big difference. It made about a 6 to 7% difference in um, the cost of owning a home. But this week they did tick up some after the inflation numbers came out. But I just feel like, you know, they're probably going to keep going up as far as mortgage rates, but there's just not, you know, they really, really, really brought down demand when mortgage rates went from like two and a half up to almost six. I mean, I know, Rita, that you've probably seen a slowdown with at least how quick homes are selling that you're putting on the market. Definitely, yes, a slowdown in, in how quickly they are selling. They are still selling, just taking a little bit longer, going back to a time before the craziness. Right. A time before the craziness. But but I, I and I've said a couple weeks that the good ones are I mean, we're still seeing multiple offers on good properties. We're still seeing stuff selling quick. It's just the difference is not everything is selling quick like before. It was like before we could put on really just a home that I mean, I don't want to say falling down, but basically like you and I wouldn't want to live in and it was still selling super, super quick multiple offers, a lot of money. And that's the kind of thing that we're just not seeing as much of now. Exactly. Exactly. I had multiple offers last weekend. It was wonderful. <laughs> that's awesome. And so when you're going in and you're talking to sellers about the change in the market, because the market has changed. Uh, gosh, we're still not at a balanced market. I mean, we're still at primarily in our market, we're still at a seller's market. But when you're going in and meeting with sellers, you know, how are you talking to them about that? Like, are you advising really now for them to list more in line with comps? Because I know before it was like sellers wanted to list over comps. They knew they were going to get it. I mean, are you telling them to be more conscious of their price? 
Definitely telling sellers to look at the data, look at what we have, what is sold around them, and and use that as a judgment instead of just picking a wishful number out of a hat and thinking you're going to get it, being a little more realistic with timelines and pricing right. as well. Yeah. <clears throat> and I think that that's always super important because I think at the end of the day, if someone's calling us and they're wanting to sell their home, they're wanting to sell their home. You know, they're not wanting to just go on the market have a bunch of people coming through the house for fun. You know, they're wanting to actually get their home sold. Maybe they have a job relocation somewhere. Maybe they want to get into a home that they like better because maybe they bought a home the past couple of years that maybe they didn't love. They just want to get in something. Now with a little more inventory on the market, you know, there's more stuff to choose from. And I think at the end of the day, these people still want to sell their home. So it's important that we give them the advice so they actually get to the place they want to be instead of just throwing it out there and seeing if they get some pie in the sky number. But, and you'll probably know the answer to this better than I do because I, I'm not in the, I don't work with as many sellers as Rita does because she, that's, that's what she does. You know, I'm working with the team. I'm working with a few clients, but have you seen, um, yet an issue? Are you running into a lot of appraisal stuff yet? No, right. which is surprising, right. but no appraisal issues yet, knock on wood, knock on that wood. we don't have that happen, <laughs> uh, but but nothing so far, so yeah. that's at least a good sign. Yeah, there was another article this week that came out that said that, and I think this is it's frustrating because I feel like it's media getting everybody a little riled up, and it said that you know buyers leaving contracts were at the highest point since before the pandemic. Well, when you looked... I think it was 14, maybe 14.6 or 14.9% of contracts were, were um, the buyers were leaving the contracts. But I think it went up from like 9% during the past two years. And before that, it was about the same, about 14 or so percent. So basically, you have a slightly better chance of the buyer leaving the contract during the process. But we're not talking, there's a, you know... It, it, we're not talking like one out of four buyers is leaving in the contract. I mean, we're we're saying that basically the numbers are back to normal before the pandemic. And again, during the pandemic, inventory was so, so, so low and it still is. So it's not like the buyers were able to go find something better. You know, they might have beat out 10 other people to get this home. There's nothing out there for them to look at. So they were sticking with the contracts. Now we're just seeing that maybe that they're looking at interest rates and looking how much they're paying and maybe they're thinking, okay, maybe I can find something else better out there. But we're not seeing a huge change in that regardless of what the article said. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Going back towards that normal market before the pandemic, I think it's a great thing. Help balance things out a little bit. Yeah. Give other buyers a chance to get in there and, and find a home. There were so many buyers during the pandemic who couldn't even get into a contract, couldn't get into a home, and this at least gives them a chance. Well, and think about how many sellers that we would meet with or even talk to on the phone, and their thing was they wanted to sell, but they were worried they couldn't find something to buy. Exactly. Yeah, so I think that, and I've been saying this for a while, and I know Andrew's been on board and Mike and everybody, is that part of the issue with such low inventory is there was nothing out there for somebody to buy. You know, if they wanted to sell their $350,000 home, they were going to get a premium for it, 
but there was nothing out there for them to buy that they wanted to move to. <laughs> so that's what we were seeing. Yes, very much so. <laughs> there were a lot of sellers who held off and held off just because there was no place for them to go. Yeah, and sometimes, I mean, we would even take, you know, they would sign the listing agreement. I mean, they're ready to go, they're ready to sell. And we would have our buyer agent take them out there and they'd call us back and they'd say, I'm going to hold off. There's just nothing that I really see. And I'm, you know, the stuff or maybe the stuff they did see, there was like 20 offers on and it was frustrating. Yes. I I remember specifically when we held the listing for six months before we went on to the market (laughs) to allow that seller to go find some place to buy. And it worked out and it worked out wonderful for the seller um, in selling the house and in buying the house. But now that there's more inventory, it should become a little easier for sellers to to upgrade into something else. Yeah. And I when, when you look at the inventory statistics, it's kind of it's very neighborhood specific. It's very zip code specific. You know, we look at some zip codes, um, you know, South Tampa, for instance, their inventory went up a ton, which it's still, the good homes are still, I mean, we're not talking a ton. We're talking like it, you know, if it went up a hundred percent, it's still very low. I mean, that's the thing. Like, so it went up a ton, but then you have areas like three, three, six, one, eight in Carrollwood and the inventory went up by 6%, which is 6% 6% of all the already low inventory is like nothing. So it, there's still there still needs to be a lot more inventory on the market. I don't foresee that changing. I could be 100% totally wrong. And I know in some markets, it definitely has changed. A lot of vacation markets have a lot more inventory because there's not as many people buying vacation homes or investment homes because interest rates went up so much. So the numbers just don't balance out if they're planning to rent the property, Airbnb or whatever. They, the numbers are just tighter. But um, in primary markets like ours, I mean, our market, even for Florida, is such a heavy primary home market. You know, you think of South Florida, you think of Orlando. Those are a lot of investment properties in those markets. So when you're thinking about our market, I don't necessarily see inventory. I see inventory going up, but I, I mean, I would love for us to have just a lot more inventory because I think it would really help the market where 10 years ago we were hoping the inventory would come off the market. I think now if we got three or four months more of inventory, it would really help our market move along and it would really be healthy for the market. I just don't know that we're going to get there because we work with leads and list like listing leads every day. Like Mm -hmm. we, we talk with sellers. We haven't had like this huge jump of people wanting to sell their homes yet. (laughs) <laughs> no, <laughs> no. <laughs> so I, I don't know what it would take in order for us to see that because high interest rates, yes, it takes some buyers out of the market and, you know, not as many people are looking to buy because maybe they can't afford what they want. But also if a seller's in a home that's at 3% interest or 2% interest and they want to go buy something and they got to buy something at five and a half or six, that's a big difference. It's a huge difference. Yeah. So that kind of changes things a little bit too. So I think the market's just interesting. I think it'll be interesting what happens to it. Um, I, you know, we'll see, but I don't foresee a huge, in, I, I, I don't see a huge amount of inventory coming on the market. Although I think for the market in general, I think that would be the best thing. So if you want to talk about what your home is worth during this time, uh, If anything's changed with that, if you're looking to sell, if you're looking to buy, give us a call at our office, 813-359-8990. We'll talk to you 
We'll set an appointment. We'll come out. We'll give you the best advice that we can in order to get your home sold. If you want to look at evaluation of your home, you can go to our website, duncanduo.com. You can find all of our tools there. You can sign up on our website in order to look at the MLS properties. We'd love to help you out. Again, our office number is 813-359-8990. And we'll be back right after this quick break. We're back here on the Duncan Duo Real Estate Show. I'm Robert Johnson, president of the Duncan Duo, here with Rita Weaver, one of our listing agents on our team. We love her. We're thrilled that she's with us this week. She's a radio novice and she's a little nervous, but I think she's doing fantastic. So we wanted to um, talk about the changing real estate market. And another article came out this week talking about June's hottest housing markets in the country. I think this is really interesting because while we feel it's Florida, while we feel it's here, um, it's not. Uh, which is a little shocking, but everything's all relative. So it's percentage based. I mean, you know, you look at this list and you're like, I mean, I don't feel like these are hot housing markets. I don't either. It feels like it should be here. It should be Tampa (laughs) right right at the top. Right. And um, these, you know, we'll go through the list. And I don't know. I'm a little shocked that the top, um, the top four on the list are all in New England, which doesn't make sense to me, but we'll go with it. We'll go with it. Who knows where this who knows where this writer is from? So number one on the list is Concord, New Hampshire. And uh, the median listing price there is four fifty seven thousand. So what the article's saying here is that oh this kind of mirrors what's going on in the country because a lot of these markets are considered hot markets because they're outside of the major metro areas. So what we're seeing is, um, and what the article says is, you know, the last couple months, the the market that was really, really hot was a little closer to the Boston metro area. And now it's a little farther away in Concord, New Hampshire. So as homes get more expensive, people start to look farther and farther out to get what they want. And that in turn raises prices in those areas. So, you know, it, that's probably why you're not seeing areas like Tampa, because our prices are already pretty high. You know, we went way up. So this is really based on raising prices and days on market and stuff like that, which is why, um, you know, you're not seeing a lot of the typical markets on here. But, you know, number one is Concord, New Hampshire. Number two is Manchester, New Hampshire. Number three, Burlington, Vermont. And number four, Portland, Maine. Now, I would tell you that the top two, Concord and, and Manchester, that's basically for those that don't know the Boston metro area. The ones that are a little farther away, Burlington, Vermont, yeah, similar maybe. Uh, Portland, Maine, that's a, that's a ways away from Boston, okay? But the same thing, perhaps it's people from different areas of the Northeast that are moving away from the major centers like Boston and moving to a place that's much smaller like Portland for those of, of you that don't know. It's it's a really cool city right on the water, uh, a lot of really great downtown area, a really, it's almost like Portland, Oregon, but on the <laughs> East Coast and smaller. So it's it's a really cool place, but um, I am surprised that it's, that it's set, considered such a hot real estate market. Number five on the list, Burlington, North Carolina. Number six on the list, Rochester, New York. Now, when you hear Rochester, I mean, I always think of those are areas that I mean, essentially it sounds bad, but those are areas where a lot of people were moving away from because a lot of the industries had moved out of there 
almost like a, a dying city, but a lot of those cities are coming back, having a lot of people move back to them when they people don't have to live in a major city. So again, what you're seeing here is percentage-wise, month over month, those prices went up. Um, their days on market changed. Um, you know, I, I mean, I think that you can get really good deals in markets like that. I mean, their average price in a place like Rochester, the average listing price is two hundred thirty thousand dollars. I mean, oh my gosh, that's... <laughs> and that's yes, the average. I mean... So you could get, I mean, you could get a great property there if you're willing to deal with the cold. Number seven, La Crosse, Wisconsin. Number eight, Hartford, Connecticut. Number nine. Oshkosh, Wisconsin, and number 10, Elkhart, Indiana. Um, again, these are areas away from major metro areas, places where people can get a lot of house for their money. You know, you even see the places on here <clears throat> where the listing prices, average listing prices, 484, 549, you know, something like that. Still, compared to a lot of the other areas around that, when you're looking at areas outside of Boston, compared to Boston, it's very inexpensive. So that's where you're seeing the investment come from. And we kind of see the same pattern here. You know, instead of people living in South Tampa or near downtown, you know, they're living farther out. Wesley Chapel, Lutz. Yeah, I mean, even Lutz, I mean, that's expensive. But you're looking at like yes. Wesley Chapel cheaper. You know, you take those. Spring Hill. Yes. You take, but you take the same homes out there and you put them in the city. They're, they, I mean, it, you can't even compare them because they would be so much more expensive. Exactly. They would be double the price. Right. So we see the same patterns here, but month over month, our prices haven't, you know, drastically changed. We Year over year, you know, Tampa ranked the highest in the nation for price change. But month over month, you know, we're seeing kind of, I think, a stabilization with a little bit of the increase of inventory, which I think is a good thing. Um but we'll see how these lists shake out. I don't see people um, rushing back to major metro areas. I think that maybe the patterns have changed a little bit and these places are going to see continued investment. Um, and I think maybe if people are not going into the office every day, they're not having to do all that kind of stuff, they're moving closer to family. You know, you think of a place like Rochester, New York, a lot of people maybe lived in another place, but their family lived there. So they're moving back, being closer to family, investing in those areas. Um, and I think overall, that's a good thing. And the prices are still there where you can get great deals, even if you're wanting to invest in property in order to rent out, do Airbnb, do long-term rental. You know, when you're looking at 230000 as the average price. I mean, you could do some great investing there. And I know the Midwest is the same the same area. And again, we'd love to talk to you about that. We'd love to refer you to somebody that could help you out in those areas. Um, I personally know a lot about uh, short-term rental investing. I know other people on our team know a lot about long-term rental investing. We know a lot about doing flips. So if you want to speak to us about any of that, give us a call at our office, 813-359-8990. Or again, you can go to one of our websites or reach out to us on socials, uh, the Duncan Duo team. We can help you there. So we'll be back right after another break here on the Duncan Duo Real Estate Show. And we're back here on the Duncan Duo Real Estate Show. I'm Robert Johnson, president of the Duncan Duo, here with Rita Weaver, one of our top listing agents on our team. Good morning. <laughs> Thanks for sticking with us through that longer break here. We're here talking to you about the local real estate market, the national real estate market, and everything that's going on all over the place. We we wanted to talk about something that's not super fun to talk about, but I think it's 
actually really important, especially in our area, which I feel like was the one of the birthplaces of the HOA. HOAs are super fun to talk about. And if you're buying or if you're selling in an area where there's an HOA, especially if you're buying, let's let's be realistic. If you're living there, um, for good or for bad, you're probably familiar with with a lot of the HOA rules, how strict they are, maybe what's in your HOA laws. Um, Rita informed me that her husband is head of their HOA. Yes, new this year. He is the president oh, of the HOA. I would it's love, wonderful. I would love to know how he fell into that. He that fell role. into that. Yeah. He did. He fell into that. And um, it's great because, you know, who are they going to talk to? <laughs> <laughs> but um, our HOA is different and every HOA is different. So Now, is yours is your HOA a voluntary HOA or mandatory? No, okay. it is mandatory, but um, very low fees. And there's not a lot of oversight, which is amazing because you can pretty much do what you want to do, but you really have to make it look nice. Yeah, Rita's a recruiter for her neighborhood yeah. HOA. It's a very small neighborhood. <laughs> right. um, and there are areas out there that have voluntary HOAs. Um, <clears throat> most of the time, those areas, it's more like voluntarily pay a fee to help upkeep the neighborhood. It might not be an HOA where there's any kind of like strictness rules. A lot of those HOAs follow maybe just the county rules. But mandatory HOAs, are usually different. Mandatory HOAs a lot of times come with different laws and regulations that, you know, the builder or the original owners of the HOA put in place for all properties. And usually all properties are part of that HOA. So you want to be super familiar with what is allowed or not allowed in your HOA, because most of the time it's more strict than the county, what the county allows and things like that. Now, Rita, is there anything <laughs> that's weird in your HOA, like no. colors of the properties? We painted know? our house, and um, you know, we didn't even think to get HOA approval. We just kind of <laughs> told the president at the time, hey, we're painting the house. He said, great. And we put in a pool and said, hey, we're putting in a pool. He said, okay, great. When can I come over? Um, so ours was very easy, easy to deal with. But I know that others don't have that luxury. Yes. And, and there's approvals um, as far as painting colors, trees in the yard, uh, and leasing restrictions yes. would be a big one. Usually, especially of newer HOAs, they're pretty strict. Yes. It seem, you know, seems like... Um, well, I live in uh, original Carrollwood, which was one of, it's not technically an HOA, but they didn't really have them back then. So um, interesting, I don't want to say the wrong things, but, um, you know, there's rules, but there's not because they let the HOA expire. A anyway, these weird things will not happen now. Um, and a lot of the rules that the neighborhood put in place were actually just tiny bit stricter than maybe the county rules that were already in place. But again, that was in the 50s and the 60s. Now, fast forward, usually, um, and it seems especially over the past couple, maybe decade or two, rules have gotten much stricter for HOAs. So they want to know that their investment of property is going to be up, kept up. They want everything to look 
similar you know maybe there's a book that you can pick colors that you want to paint <laughs> yes and mailboxes to match right all of that. or no mailboxes yeah. anything yeah i mean um how much landscaping you can have in your yard what type of mulch you can use what type of plants you can plant especially in the front yard um yes. i lived in uh, i was renting years ago and um i it was a townhome and i'm not sure how somebody saw but i would take off my shoes to go from the garage, which was detached. It was a back garage. And I would take off my shoes to go into the house through the back door. Um, would leave my shoes outside because I wasn't going to wear dirty shoes in the house. It defeated the purpose. And we actually got a complaint that per the HOA, we were not allowed to leave shoes outside. And we're not talking in my front yard. We're talking oh in the backyard. So how somebody saw through the little area. But that's, again, that's how strict that it can be that we can't, you know, oh, you can't leave stuff on your back porch. So um, when you're working with a seller or a buyer, is that something that you're talking to them about up front? When we're working with sellers specifically, the things that we're asking, um, the biggest question we get is is about the leasing restrictions. True. Um, if there is a time of ownership before you're allowed to lease it, we, we need to tell people that on the front end of things so that there is no question. Um, if somebody's interested in purchasing the home as an investment, we want them to do that. Right. And because a lot of institutional investors or investors in general, you know, they're not going to touch something if there's like, oh, maybe you have to own the house for a year before you can rent it. Or maybe they're, you know, looking for a short term rental and they're not allowed in the area exactly. uh, or, or in the neighborhood. And that can actually be on the county level, too. But you want to get all those things up front because that stuff can really change, you know, the amount of buyers that are looking at the property and then the maybe the buyer that's going to buy the property. I think those things are great to have. Um, you know, I'm not against rental restrictions. I think that for certain neighborhoods, they can be a great thing to have, but it is something that we need to know up front. Um, and as a buyer, if you're working with buyers, it's important that if you're a buyer or if you're an agent, that you're getting all of those laws and covenants and any kind of bylaws, you want to get those up front. You want to do your due diligence and get those. You can request them from the HOA, you can request them from the seller, the seller can point you back to the HOA, but you want to do all of that up front and you want to make sure there's no approvals. And I know that sounds weird, but um, you know, I don't think they can approve a buyer in an HOA, but they can approve a buyer in a condo, you know, which is different. Yes. Yeah, I know it yes. seems crazy, <laughs> but, um, but you want to make sure with an HOA, I mean, I had one I remember that they had chickens. Oh, no backyard chickens. Backyard chickens. Well, right. And they had backyard chickens and the HOA said no chickens. I don't remember how, but we did not find this out. And I, I represented the seller. No one asked us. Nobody. I mean, it wasn't a thing that we were even conscious about because nobody asked us. Well, right before closing, the buyer found out they couldn't have their chickens the buyer left the deal. It was a whole thing. But um, again, they could have figured that out much sooner had they requested the documents sooner or had they asked us because we probably knew the answer. But, um, you know, I think that that is, is very important for somebody to know what they're getting into and also what the costs of that HOA are. Because the costs of the HOA, most of the time you are... Um, 
you know, you're paying monthly or quarterly or yearly, and you want to know what that cost entails. You know, does it entail that everybody's getting their yard done? Does it entail that uh, the streets are maintained? Is there also a CDD with the property? I mean, it's a whole, a whole bunch of stuff, but that in turn can affect your financing because if it's required, it's part of the mortgage payment, which affects your financing. So it's very important that you're finding out all those things up front. And that's something that, um, you know, when you're a buyer, you may want to look at or you may want to rule out. And I've worked with a ton of buyers who said, hey, I don't want to be in HOA. And I'm sure, Rita, that you have to. Yes. Um, so how do you think that it, do you think that an HOA in our area affects a property? Well, I don't want to say the wrong thing, but affects a property in a positive or a negative? Because I think that it could go either way on that. I'm sure that you do too. I think certain HOAs, they are great to have. I feel like they really do keep the neighborhood looking nicely done and well-maintained. I think there definitely can be some overbearing HOAs. Um, <laughs> but, you know, overall, it's it's not a terrible thing to have. And it really makes the community look nice and hold your value for longer periods that, of time. Yeah, that is true. And I think that well, mostly true, you know, in my opinion. Um, <laughs> everything's opinion <laughs> on this show. Yes, opinion. Um, opinion. But I think that it's funny because and I was actually talking to somebody before I came on the show and they were uh, talking about an HOA. Now, I think the joke is that you always want your you always want your neighbors in an, in an HOA, but you never want to be in an HOA because, you know, you you follow the rules and exactly. you want to make sure your neighbors are rule followers. So uh, I think that that's that's definitely um, something that is a positive and they're probably feeling the same way about you. You know, they want to make sure that you're a rule follower too. Um, but I think overall, usually what we see is the HOA properties are really well maintained. The neighborhoods look really good. Um, the HOA, as long, like Rita said, as long as they're not too overbearing. So those are all the ways, that, again, make sure you're talking to the seller, make sure that you're requesting those documents up front, make sure that you're requesting them from the HOA if need be. And make sure that you're knowing exactly what the cost is. And if you, you know, I would also ask if they think that there's going to be an increase in an HOA, uh, HOA cost, because usually they know a little bit early before the year if there is going to be an increase, mm -hmm. especially now, um, you know, with inflation, I think you might find that HOAs can't cover the cost of maybe what they're paying for. So you, you're probably going to see some increases in HOA costs. Now, I don't know, and I don't think the increases are going to be crazy, but I do think that would be something that you can ask up front that can help you out on the back end. You know, if they're going to increase it 50 or or $100 a month, that can make a big difference. Um, and that's something that you want to know up front. Ours did just go up. Oh. Yes, the cost of landscaping. Right, so we can thank your husband for that. So he takes over and he raises yes, the Yes, it went up like $35 a year, so yeah, yeah, wasn't yeah. much. You know, <clears throat> the article also talks about you can chat with neighbors, you can look on social media. You know, you want to see that you're really going to mesh with this HOA because I think that if you're putting your investment in something, that's very important. So, again, if you want to talk to us about all the – um, advantages or how that you can make sure that you find the right property for you, give us a call, 813-359-8990. We'd love to help you out.
And we'll be back right after this quick break. And we're back here on the Duncan Duo Real Estate Show. Thanks for joining us this week. And thanks for sticking with us through this show. We really appreciate it. We wanted to finish this segment out by talking about home affordability, where $72,000 can score a sweet home even now. I mean, that's a great, I mean, again, that's, that's considered a good income. I mean, so if you're looking for a good property that you can live in, and a sweet property, this article says, for that price. Um, it says middle-class meccas where you can live in a beautiful home for $72,000. Rita, where would you think the middle-class mecca would be in America? I have no <laughs> idea. <laughs> so the top 10 places for, for middle-income Americans to buy a home are mostly all in the Midwest with a couple outliers, which, again, we were talking earlier Midwest is a great place to invest in property. There's a lot of talk about long-term rental investing there, um, multifamily property investing there, because you can just get a lot for your money. Now, again, the rents aren't going to be as high, but a lot of times the money works out and it's a great place to invest. But this is talking about actual, you know, uh, primary residences. So number one, or actually I'm going to start at 10. Mm -hmm. Number 10, Louisville, Kentucky. Um, (laughs) Don't know it, you know, I said I, I know somebody that relocated to Louisville, and I said you're the first person I think that I've heard relocated to Louisville. That's not an area that I hear a lot of people moving to, but when I was looking at properties around there to kind of just give them my opinion, I was kind of shocked at how much you could buy there for the money. Now, you know, I don't I I, I read that you know values hadn't increased there as much as other places, which is why stuff was still so affordable. But again number 10 on the list. It's a great place that you can buy a property for not a ton of money. And I was shocked at what you could buy there. So I think the list is probably only going to get better from there. Number nine, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Tulsa, you want to live in Oklahoma? Sounds like it might be cold there. (laughs) Or really, really hot in the summer. Like, yeah, the middle of the country away from the water. But there's a lot of jobs in Tulsa. A lot of jobs, a lot of um, energy jobs, you know, just it's way different than our economy. You know, it's not based on tourism and people visiting and beautiful weather. It's based on oil and working and I mean, great, but a great place to buy a property. Uh, Number eight on the list, Little Rock, Arkansas. I've heard that's a beautiful area. I've never been there. never thought about going there, but it seems like you can get a great house if you want to move there. He's just shaking her head. (laughs) <laughs> number number seven, Detroit, Michigan. I think we all know that there's a lot of value in Detroit if you want to live in Detroit. It's very cold, very cold in Detroit. But a good place to invest in property if you want to take on an investment so far away. A lot of money that they're putting into Detroit. It's one of the great American cities that they're trying to get to turn around. So I think that if you want to invest there, you can get a great property there. And this list agrees. Number six, St. Louis, Missouri. St. Louis, kind of the same thing, a little different than Detroit, a little, you know, uh, didn't uh, have quite the same exodus that Detroit did. But there's a lot of areas around St. Louis that um, are really, really nice areas. I've been there many times. Um, You can get a great property around there for a great price, Uh, like shockingly. I mean, like some of the best areas are a fraction of what some of the best areas here, which is kind of weird because I remember when our market was considered so affordable 
and now it's it's just not like it used to be. Number five, McAllen, Texas, right down by the border. I think that's kind of near Corpus Christi. I wouldn't think of that area, but sure. Number four, Wichita, Kansas, not that far from Tulsa. I think that whole area just has a lot of growth, but still a lot of um, a lot of good prices to still invest in the market. Number three, Syracuse, New York. Again, a lot of investment in upstate New York recently. Uh, you know, Rochester was on the other list, Syracuse. Um, you know, you're, you're just seeing a lot of upstate New York stuff. I, I know I am recently. And again, the list agrees and says you can get a great property there for seven, if you have a $72,000 income. Number two on the list, Scranton, Pennsylvania. And number one on the list, Youngstown, Ohio. Really? Yes. So if you're an Ohio transplant and you get the urge to go home or buy a second property, Youngstown, Ohio is a place where you can get a great property with an income of $72,000, number one on our list. Wow. Wow. (laughs) I know some people from Ohio down here. Uh, Yeah. I mean, the West Coast of Florida has a ton of Midwest transplants, especially Ohio. So again... um, positivity to end the show great places that you can buy a property with a good middle class income of $72,000 family income um you know you can still get great property here uh we would love to show you your options if you're looking for a property we'd love to speak with you about that as i've talked about a couple times our office number is 813-359-8990 you can give us a call anytime reach out to us on social like us on social media Duncan Duo team, we'd love to help you out. We'd love to speak with you. We'd love to chat with you. You can go on our website anytime. Uh, you can look at your home evaluation. You can schedule us to come out and look at the property. We'd love to give you our opinion on what we think it can sell for. It was great spending this Sunday morning with you, Tampa Bay. Have a great rest of your day and enjoy your Sunday.